In this week's episode, standard genres are getting turned upside down. From the men behind the superheroes to the companies behind the zombies, there's more to these tropes than meets the eye. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back everyone. We are here sharing with you our thoughts on new comics this week while the outside world is stormy and rainy and dark and wet like the minute the storm came in my energy went down the drain with it yeah it's it's a very lo-fi beats to chill and study to kind of day here i'll break in some here where we are don't no don't don't (laughs) this is no 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 your gain's not high enough for that well it could be turn it up um (laughs) Welcome, everyone. We have comics to talk about. Yeah. So we're going to dive in. Some cool stuff. Uh, first up uh, is Geiger, number one. Geiger. 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 Geiger Meister. I think it's Geiger, like a Geiger counter. Geiger. Which one of you ladies wants to get with the Geiger Meister? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Mission Hill callback for people who... It's a deep know cut. Know of that show. It's it's a deep cut. If you don't know it, we don't, learn, we're not surprised. Learn, your, <laughs> learn yourself. Uh, so this is Geiger number one. Uh, this is coming out of Image. It is by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, who you might know that creative team as the creative team behind Doomsday Clock. Uh, so this is one of those books um, that you can kind of tell came about as people were working on something for a mainstream uh, for a mainstream company and then decided like, whoa, this would be a cool idea. I always love those. Me too. I love when it's like clear that this person was working on like a certain superhero or a certain mainstream line and at some point was like, whoa, hold on, what if? And then decided to like, you know. And it's funny too because you know that it probably started off, uh, out as like, what if this particular mainstream hero did this? And they're like, yeah, but we'd want to be able to like blow people's heads up. And they're like, okay, so this is an image book now. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and that it is. Uh, Geiger follows a gentleman who uh, it's set in a world where nuclear war happened and the world was basically obliterated by nuclear bombs and nuclear missiles. Um, and the. Uh, you know, the world is sorry, we just briefly lost power. Yeah, everything so. went dark for a I minute. Like, so that was a little startling. Oh, um. <laughs> The world is shrouded in radiation. Various areas of the world are just covered in radiation or unlivable. Uh, and it follows a man who uh, somehow survived while being exposed to all the initial blasts. Somehow survived. And uh, what his plans and what his quest and adventure is going to be. Yeah, this book is super neat. And progresses in a way that I don't expect. Um, It starts off one way and you're like, oh, okay, so it's one of these books. But then by the end, it it like takes like a swift turn to the left that you're not anticipating. And suddenly I'm not going to make spoilers because I want you to experience it for yourself because it's a very good book. But suddenly it's resembling in a a particularly installment of a very large video game IP. <laughs> and it's yeah. 
pretty damn dope. And I was like, oh, look at you. I see what you're doing here. And I like this. I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you made this that connection because I was like, I don't really want to grab the lowest hanging fruit, but I'm gonna. This would be a, this would be a great book for fans of Fallout. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Fallout series, you know, is known by being set in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland. There's mutants and different, f and namely, there's different factions that all sort of have their own like kitches and yep. weirdness to them. Um, and that's really the direction this book is going. There are, you know, bunkers that have potentially people still in them and stuff like that. And it, um, it's very, it's a very easy lateral move over to Fallout. So if you are a fan of the Fallout series, this book is definitely for you. I think it would be a really, with a nice little superhero twist to it. Yeah, you know? it's it's like Fallout, but if your main character, instead of just being some dude from a vault, was like actually a, an impressive superhero sort, thanks to yeah. the radiation. It's, it's a neat, it's a neat depiction. Yeah. Of this trope. I like that this book is done by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank because I do think this particular character fits really well into the Watchmen mythos. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny because, like, I almost wonder if this was a concept that they threw out to, like, introduce in Doomsday Clock. And then they were like, nah, I don't know how we'll make that fit, but let's just, like, do, do that. Something you anyway, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the character, his look... His whole like thing, you know what I mean? His whole personality and motivations really fit in with kind of the Watchmen style of stuff. Um, and I don't want to, again, I'm trying to not spoil things because it's really cool. But the established villain that they put in, per se, that's who's going to be the antagonist during this, is so weird and kind of goofy and goobery almost. But it's excellent because it's, I don't know, it... It's when I say that it kind of goes a left field direction, it's a little bit of a tonal shift because the villain almost has like wacky Batman villain type vibes. And you don't necessarily expect that from the way that the story progresses earlier in the book. So it's a cool it's a cool tonal shift. And I think it's going to be a really cool like seeing this sort of like weird antagonist in this otherwise relatively like straightforward sort of presented post-apocalyptic environment so i think that's gonna be really really fun i'm i'm super into the villain it's so weird <laughs> it is yeah it's it's got its own sort of like gooberiness to it it does it's good uh next up we're gonna be talking about the rise number one uh this is written by uh george c romero who is the son of george a romero who is the classic film director of the uh night of the living dead and the living dead series of zombie related movies um this book at its core is another kind of sort kind of sort of i almost said good lord <laughs> my the vocabulary is fantastic it's kind of sort of almost um <laughs> it's okay the rain washed away your vocabulary yeah right uh it's you know, another zombie book in a way, but it's we're taking a look at the story more at the beginning of the beginning of the zombie, the very, very beginning of what could potentially be a zombie outbreak. We don't even have zombies yet. Like, we don't even have an outbreak yet. You know what I mean? This is literally taking a look at the sort of thing that would be, you know, it's it's basically like looking at the Umbrella R&D team. You know, we're looking at the 
precursors to what could potentially as people develop the serums and the viruses and shit like that like that's where we're at we're at the developmental stage of they're developing something that certainly does seem like it's making zombies to some degree it's interesting because it it kind of holds some interesting placement in my opinion currently in this moment in society because it could very well be taking from some of the like deep deep ridiculous conspiracy theories that live on youtube about a certain patricia that we just went through um and how that started and came to be and so it's kind of it's interesting because it's always been a trope that like a certain patricia that we're still going yes of course (laughs) um but it's it's interesting because it's like it's always been a trope that like oh the big shady governmental corporation you know, entities are the ones making the zombie stuff, but like it hits different now <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, you're like definitely. something like that is terrifying. Um, so it's, it's a cool look at the beginning part. Like Chris said, like, yeah. I love that we don't have any zombies really yet. It's, it's all the stuff that happens before. And it's, a, yeah. it's a lot of like political intrigue, it's, which it's, I like. It's like taking, a step back from a lot of zombie media, which, you know, a lot of the, whether you're talking, you know, the night of the living dead and the living dead series, uh, not so much the walking dead because there's not really been any sort of sense as to what caused the zombies in the walking dead. Um, but resident evil and just a lot of zombie IPs and zombie series and things like that. There's a lot of times some sort of science fiction, based corporations, shady corporations and shady organizations and stuff at the beginning, right. you know, at the, at the forefront of these things to some degree, yeah. whether it be they're like trying to profit off of the virus that got out or whether it be they're the ones that developed the virus or whatever it might be. 28 days later, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing kicks off because people liberate a bunch of monkeys that are infected, yeah. you know? And so this is like, this book is like taking a step back from that. And saying, what if we told a story that was primarily about, like, corporate espionage and, you know, shady corporations and military machines and even real espionage in its own way? Um, And we took a look instead at developing one of these sorts of things as opposed to, you know, hey, look, it's already happened and people are eating people. Ah." Yeah. So it's, it's like giving... Although it's a new creation and a new, you know, George C. Romero's own take on this thing. It's it's like taking a look at like Umbrella, just being Umbrella. You yeah. know what I mean? Like what if Umbrella, like what if we had a video game that was just Umbrella, like going around fighting different organizations that were trying to stop them and like trying to find out how to develop the T-virus and stuff. And I mean, if you think about Resident Evil 2, there's lots of mentions of all of these things that they'd done before the big one gets out. Yeah. So it's like we don't have a clear indication of how long they'd been working on this stuff before it went wrong. So this is looking at the times before all of the ish hit the fan. Exactly. It's, they, yeah, yeah. There were years and years and years of them doing this stuff that no one knew about and they had no accountability. And so like, what does that look like? Yeah. And I like that. Me too. I, I think it's a cool, cool way of taking something that's like pretty universally accepted in like the public about like, oh, we're talking about zombie stuff. Cool. Is it like 
a supernatural zombie thing? Is it like a scientific? Oh, it's a scientific thing. So obviously there was some sort of pharmaceutical company or like sciencey company that did something wrong and meddled with things they shouldn't. So we all know that's there, but those corporations have never really had their story. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've never really seen, we've always seen, like you said, in Resident Evil 2, we've seen the aftermath of the scientists being like, they stole my work, ah, you know, and, yeah. but we've never seen them him doing that work, like yeah. testing the <laughs> zombie viruses and like going, traveling around the world to find like other places where zombies occur organically and stuff like Making that. Making the big things that end up in the sewer that they're like, okay, well, where are we going to put these now that we have them? Oh, well, let's find a sewer to put them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's cool. I like that. And it honestly, it makes me want Capcom to do like a Resident Evil thing. That's like, let's take a look at, like you said, like, look, this is these little things that are eventually going to go into the sewer and be huge things that Jill Valentine has to fight Yep, and stuff like that. You exactly. Know I mean? It would be fun. But this one's cool. It's uh, this is from heavy metal. So uh, it's got a really cool cover to it. And it's they're doing really stylized covers for their stuff. And I think it's also available in the regular heavy metal magazine to some degree. Um, so whichever format you want to get it. Uh, it's cool. It's worth picking up if you're into zombie stuff and you've always kind of wanted to see other angles of the zombie. I gotta thing. say, as the heavy metal stuff goes, this is probably one of the better ones that I've read. I agree. Um, they've been putting out a lot of stuff. Sun Eater is really incredible. Uh, that's the Cole Sprouse. Yes. Uh, I like Savage Circus. I think that's gonna go good places. Um, that one has potential. I think I liked this one more than that one, though. I think I this say. one is one of the cooler concepts. Yeah, that I they agree. Put out for sure. Uh, next up, from, uh, also from Image, is Silver Coin. Uh, number one, not to be confused with Silver Corn, number one, uh, <laughs> which is an award given out in the Nebraska 4-H fair uh, for the people that have the most delectable white corn. Um, don't get those two things confused. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nebraska listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Um, You're making this joke because you know Chip Starsky's going to love it. <laughs> I, just trying to make more famous friends, man. Um, love you, Chip. This is... Uh, yeah, this is a horror anthology um, that is going to follow around the eponymous silver coin so yep. there's some sort of supernatural silver coin uh much to the tune of ice cream man where the ice cream man makes appearances in all the different books but they're all different stories the silver coin is going to be our so-called crypt keeper this time that's going to journey through time and through stories and through narratives to basically just f up people's lives mm -hmm. uh this first one is set in the 70s and it follows a rock band um yep Late 70s. Got mad pick of destiny or any sort of, uh, you know, rock and roll musician biopic type of oh, what vibes. Was, what was that one that's, oh, he like takes pl the place of the lead singer of the band. Is it called Rockstar? Oh, I'm going to look it up. I don't know, man. Um, I think you're thinking Camp Rock. I'm not thinking Camp Rock. Oh. Thank you. Oh. oh, you're thinking. I know what you're thinking of. It's uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, that must be it. Yeah. That must um, be it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is written by Chip Zdarsky, uh, who I only realized yesterday. I wonder if we've been saying his last name wrong this whole time. I realize I've never looked up how to say his last name. So, Chip, 
Can I call you Jim? <laughs> <laughs> if I've been pronouncing your last name wrong all this time, I'm really sorry. I should do my research more. But I don't. Um, with art by Michael Walsh. This is really cool. It's a cool anthology. What did you think, T? I really liked it. I I mean, I you guys know I love Chip. Shout out to you, Chip. Um, but it's... I just, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like, break boundaries of a, you know, rock star expectation. Like, I want to get famous. I want to get good. But what really sold this book for me, and again, I don't want to spoil things, but the last three pages of this book are not what I was expecting. It, like, it definitely has, like, a Pick a Destiny vibe, so it, you know guy gets picked and he suddenly starts to become and play amazing and he's super talented and the music feels different and he's like willing to forsake his friends for the fame and like it's going to his head and like all of that and like yeah 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 okay I get that and it, it's well written and it looks nice and it has very much the 70s vibe and you know they're all shitting on disco and it's great I, I'm here for it I, I love it and I, I enjoy it and I like a good rock story but the last three pages goes so off the damn rails that like I finished it and I was like that was metal AF <laughs> it's so like oh damn <laughs> it's cool yeah it tied up really really nice it's so it's just such a good horror movie ending that I was like okay yeah. if I wasn't fully sold I am hella sold now <laughs> I'm a sucker for horror anthologies I just think they're a great format for comic books um, because it's just little bite-sized bits. You can get into whatever issue, you know, got Ice Cream Man out right now. Electric Black runs the same way. Ha Ha is less horror, but with horror elements. Um, and then we've got this one and it's just, it's cool stuff. I love that format for comics because you just have a rotating cast of writers if you want. This one particularly does. I think the next issue is going to be Kelly Thompson. Um, that's awesome. Rotating cast of writers, rotating cast of artists, and you just pump out interesting stories based around a theme. Uh, and they're just quick. They're quick little bites that give like a little horror punch, have a nice resolve, and then they move on to the next thing. Um, this one's cool. I'm excited to see this one go, and I think they're gonna have a really good roster of writers on this. Um, and Chip definitely kicks it off hardcore. You know. And that's not just because we're in the Chip fan club. <laughs> the Chips Ahoy. Though I, I totally am. We should we should do Okay, so yeah. Donny Cates has the Devil's Advocates, right? Oh, that's adorable. Um, which I... Donny, I'm sorry. Can I call you Donny? Nope. Um, <laughs> your fan club should have been called the Cates of Hell. All I'm saying. <laughs> Devil's Advocates... Eh, Kates of Hell. Whoa, great. I mean, they're both um, really good. I but like what both. I'm saying is you and I should start up a Chip Sterski fan club and we need to give it a clever name. I'm voting Chips Ahoy. I do love Chips Ahoy. Um, That's adorable. Or are you afraid of the Zdarsky? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one's good, too. He, I think he'd like them both. Though he probably wouldn't like Chips Ahoy, because I feel like maybe he'd be like, oh, that's original. He's probably heard that in his life. Yeah, probably. Uh, let's see. What else? The Good Chip Lollipop. The Good Chip Lollipop. Oh, my God. 
That so, one's good. I'm pitching all these out to you, man. If you're listening, let me know which one you like. <laughs> Whichever one really like sticks with you, let and us again, know if and we'll, we'll I'm do pronouncing it. your last name wrong. Please don't kick me out of the chips ahoy. <laughs> we we want to be a part. We want to be involved. I don't want to leave the good chip lollipop yet. We don't. We want to we want to be there. <laughs> All right. Finally, uh wrapping us up here is Project Patron number 1. This is from Aftershock. Uh this is by Steve Orlando and Patrick. Whoops. Hold on. I clicked out of my thing before I could see uh, with art by Patrick Piazzalunga. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> I think you did. I think that's exactly how it's Piazzalunga. Piazzalunga. Maybe Piazzalunga. Piazzalunga. Maybe. Maybe. Cool last name. I did Very it. Very cool last um, name. But yeah, this uh, is an interesting take on a Superman character. So the patron is our Superman character. Uh, he's, you know, super powerful, super friendly, super compassionate, super smart. Um, this book opens with a quick recap of his defining moment, which was the patron's fight with effectively doomsday. Uh, I forget what it's called in this book, but I think they set it up as like, this is the thing, a primordial evil, the thing that killed the dinosaurs. And it's really funny, but it's the doomsday fight. It's the death of Superman arc. He fights this thing. They fight it to a mutual destruction. They're they both, both die. They're both dead. Flash forward a while later and Patron's back. Yay! And everyone's happy. He straight up and flies out of the like out of the earth. Yeah, he like pops out of his grave and is like, I'm back, bitch. And then <laughs> does a lap around the world and you know, shows up at a Harlem Globetrotters game and like does a behind the back dunk and everyone's like, yeah. And then he like flies out to a Taylor Swift concert and gets on stage and like rips the guitar with her and stuff. And then he goes back to his own dimension. Yeah. Anyway, none of that happens in this book. Um, Patron comes back and it's shrouded in a bit of mystery. He, after saving the day, he'll fly off to somewhere and no one really knows where he's going. There's a, you know, Justice League of sorts that's wondering why he won't join and why he doesn't want to be a part of all the other. He's an elitist and he doesn't want to be part of the superheroes. And we find out why. And that's the core story of the book. Uh, And I don't feel bad spoiling this, but if you don't want the kind of like twistiness to be spoiled, it happens like three pages into the book and it's the main story of the book. Um but shut the episode off right now and come back to it. But uh, effectively, the UN has created a cyborg clone reploid, I think they call it, yeah. uh, version of Patron who's being remote controlled by a various group, a group of various soldiers whose you know expertise match different. Like there's a smart one for when he needs to do sciencey things and there's a compassionate like charming one for when he needs to be in front of people and then there's like a big strong one for when he needs to punch things uh and then there's yeah and uh we the story focuses around a gentleman who's new to the team whose main role in the team is going to be the patron's compassion Mm -hmm. uh he specializes in like psychology and psychotherapy and stuff like that um and so his role in the on the team is to be there when the patron needs to you know, be friendly with people 
And there's there's one guy on the team who's kind of like the leader. He's older. He's probably about to retire. Um, he's kind of been guiding all of the others on the team as to how to be the best part of patron because he kind of encompasses all of the things that it takes to be patron. Mm -hmm. You can tell that it wasn't always like, let's break it down into subsets of people so that not everyone has to hold all this responsibility. Mm -hmm. He's been on the most missions. He probably is the most of an embody, a whole faceted embodiment of the patron. Um, and he's kind of like a father figure. You almost get kind of like a Batman beyond vibes Mm -hmm. to him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, this is one of the coolest superhero books I've ever read, putting that out there. This is such a cool concept. It absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. The necessity of it and the way they do it and the way they kind of treat each other on the team and the competitive nature of the individuals on the team, as well as the like, I just want to do this. I don't want to do that. You know, it it's like simultaneously breaking down a superhero book while also breaking down like office politics at the same time. Like it's, I don't know. It's just such a good idea. It's such an interesting concept to have this like primary guy, this like superhero, this icon, this Superman who then is not, he's not real. He's, he's just a figment of hope. It's that whole discussion of like, you just have to make sure everyone still has hope and faith. And and he's just sort of there to exist. And it's just such a good it's just such a good idea. Like I'm so impressed by the idea and the yeah. iteration and the discussion of it. There there seems to be a big trend in the independent comic book writing, the creator owned stuff, uh, to take a look at, you know, generic but very accessible things in terms of like big superhero stories, you know, like, you know, we've got commanders in crisis that are looking out at like you know, big crossover events like infinite crisis and crisis on infinite worlds and stuff like that. Um, and this one, which is looking at death of Superman and taking these like big story arcs that are recognizable and then basically inserting a clone of those into their book, but then saying like, what if it was different? Yeah. What if it was handled different? Um, and I just think this is a really cool one and it's, you know, at its core, it's going to be a murder mystery and it's going to be about, again like corrupt government stuff and corrupt corporate stuff and whatnot and how that kind of plays in the background of all these superhero Mm -hmm. things but then in addition it's got an entire world of superheroes that it's able to really like establish and build upon that makes room for tons of you know writing angles and narrative angles um and just in general the whole concept of people like normal people stepping into this like we hear that being the patron takes a toll on the body like Mm -hmm having to virtually connect to these superpowers that they've somehow, we don't even know how yet, but they've somehow put into this, whatever a reploid is. um, It takes a toll and it's aging the dude you were talking about, the like leader of the team. It's aging him extra fast. Yep. And it's, you know, because he's constantly the one piloting the it suit. deteriorates your body. Yeah. And-, and so it's, there's a lot of story here and there's a lot of story potential and it's all very approachable. Like it's, it's this book does not shy away from showing that it is effectively telling you a Superman story in a character that's not Superman. Like he's got a Lex Luthor character. He's got the Justice League exists mm-hmm. out there. I'm sure eventually once we start to see them, they'll be like, this is the speedster and this is the dark, mysterious one. You yeah. know, like 
this book is not afraid to be like, yes, I'm telling a DC story, not for DC. Yeah. You know, but that's kind of the the allure of it. That's kind of what gives it its its charm is that it is so very clearly telling something that was probably developed while Steve Orlando was writing at DC because he's done various DC things. Yeah. He's been on Supergirl and he's been on Batman and he's been on Justice League, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I don't think it should shy away. I don't think it should try to be like, let me pretend and have to do all this setup to get you to know who the patron is. If it, it pretty much opens right away and was like, the patron is Superman. <laughs> Get Here. that in your head. You understand yeah. this concept already. I'm not going to rebuild it exactly. for you. It's like, it's this book wants to focus on this particular story of what's happening with these people behind the scenes of the superhero and having to keep this secret and what happens if this secret gets out? What happens if this secret gets infiltrated by somebody? Um, and that's the story. The Superman stuff is in the background. We're technically in the foreground because this is happening in the background, but we're focusing on the background. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like drawing focus. It's like when you have something standing in the fore foreground and you've got somebody standing in the back, you know, and you see those scenes in movies where like that person's in focus up front. Yeah. And then it like draws focus to the person in the back and they become blurry. Right. We're in the back blurry part. Like the Superman pastiche is bigger and up front, but we're focusing on those people in the back, you it's know? It's interesting the timing of this book too. I just want to note that that this book is coming out almost immediately following the Bendis run of Superman mm -hmm. that effectively made any any manipulation of a Superman character doing what this book is talking about impossible because Soups is no longer a hidden figure. Yeah. Soups is now yeah, identified as Clark Kent. He's out and proud. He's, yeah. he's out and proud and since they've done that any potential of having another death of Superman and this type of story being told is impossible yeah. because if soups dies, Clark dies and everyone's going to know it. You can't, you can't pretend that like they died simultaneously, but nobody noticed, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just interesting. It almost feels like maybe they were like holding onto this story. Like this is a really cool idea. I've pitched this and they're like, Oh yeah, if it ever fits, we can do that. And then it'll never fit now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, well, screw it. I'm going to do it independently. <laughs> I think it's an interesting look to in kind of a painfully realistic way of how people in our world would potentially view super people. You know what I mean? Because these, while yeah, they all respect the patron and you know, they, I think one of them has even kissed the patron on some occasion Yeah, and like, you know, they're doing it because the world needs the patron or whatever. They're also, they're dissecting his personality you know, deep down, the patron was had a personality. He was a person to some degree. Yeah. He wasn't just this superhero, we can assume, you know? Yeah. And he's dead now. He died saving all these people. And now, effectively, what the UN has done is adopted him as property, saying the patron is now ours. Yeah. You know, we control the patron and his identity and dissected that identity to say, okay, well, he's smart sometimes, so we need to get somebody who can emulate that. And he's compassionate sometimes, so we need to get somebody who can emulate that. Yeah. And, like, split him into bits and fragmented who he is and spread it out amongst this group. And no one's taking time to think, like, but really he was, like, a person under there, right? You know yeah. what I mean? And it's 
it's interesting because I could see that, like, yeah, you know, it, I could see that's what we do countries and nations and stuff. Yeah, being like, and yeah, in that whole same cult of celebrity where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I really liked the patron, but then he stopped quipping when he was fighting, and like, he's just gotten really boring lately. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean, and like. God forbid he be like tired of having to fight all the time or something like that. You know what I mean? Going through literally anything. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting (laughs) kind of dissection of how we would approach these larger than life kind of idols. Um, were it in a real world scenario, you know? So totally. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. That is it. That is all. So if you want more Cover B, you can find all our past episodes, including our special episodes like our real extras. Uh, we just had one out over Godzilla versus Kung. Uh, so those are all on our website, CoverBPodcast.com. Mm-hmm. You can also follow us on social media because we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. TikTok, baby. Oh yeah. Come and hang out with us, Zoomers. You know you want to. I'm going to make the TikTok so weird. It's already pretty weird. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but it's great. And we're funny and we're silly and we keep you updated on new releases and interesting news and fan art and pictures of my cat in a superhero costume. It's great. Just come hang out. And we will have another episode potentially on Wednesday, but definitely on Saturday. Yeah. Anyway, we will see you on the next episode of Cover Cover Me. Me. Bye, everybody. Bye.